Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Brad Cook, CEO of Endeavor Silver. They've been a long-suffering silver producer. The price of silver is back up, uh, and it looks like they've done a bit of a turnaround exercise on their underground assets in Mexico. We talked to Brad and gave him a little bit of a hard time around the numbers uh, and uh, performance of the past couple of years, and he points us towards the organic growth that the company will be seeing from the development of their Tarana Era project and also their three Chile projects. Enjoy the podcast. Brad, how are you doing, sir? Things are good, thanks. Yeah, back at work, hard at it? Uh, yeah, it's been actually one of my busiest summers ever. Uh, we brought our people back to the office late June. And um, of course, we've had a market uh, run in the metal prices. And uh, uh, so everybody's uh, busy, busy, busy. It's good. It is, it is good. It is good, especially for you silver boys. Um, well, look, why don't we um, kick off, give people a one-minute overview of the business, uh, and then we'll pick it up from there. Endeavor Silver Corp, uh, founded in 2003, bought our first mine in the early 2004 in Mexico. Uh, we basically discovered a model of uh, uh, purchasing small, high-grade, underground vein mines that in historic mining districts in Mexico that had closed for lack of ore or money or both. And by bringing the money and the expertise to make new discoveries and fast-track new mine developments, we were able to basically build a company. So that's the history of Endeavor since 2004. Okay. I want to talk about, because we it's the first time we've heard the story. I mean, we've spoken obviously previously about one of your other companies, but we've not spoken about this story before. So I wanted, to, when we were sort of diving around doing this research, it, you're right, it's been around since what, 2002-ish, 2003-ish, been around a long time. It, there's a lot of moving parts here, and I want to try and understand it, because the last three and a half years have been really tough for you guys. Share price was just going down, down, down. Costs were going up, up, up. Uh, and you've had a lucky break because the silver price has just uh, gone up in the past few months. So it's kind of slightly deceiving in, in a way. So I want to talk about the projects that you've got and some of the challenges that you've had over the past few years and what the learnings are. So if we can, if we can talk about the uh, underground mining in Mexico. So what's been, what's been going on? What have the problems been for you? Well, first of all, let's talk about the good times because uh, our three operating mines, Guanasavi, Molinitos, and El Compas, are all in historic districts. They're all high grade. And uh, until the last couple of years, uh, they were actually highly profitable. We pulled, uh, let's see, 160 million of free cash flow out of Guanasavi from 2005 to around 2016. We pulled over $200 million of free cash flow out of Molinitos from 2009 to 2018. Uh, but for almost identical reasons, both of those mines fell on hard times because the discoveries we made in the very early years that allowed us to restart those mines uh, we were originally shallow and thick and rich, and, and uh, over time they became deep and narrow and low grade. And, and of course, that was in an environment of falling metal prices, a seven year bear market. Um, so it was just bad timing, and we went from a low cost producer to a high cost producer. Uh, couple of years. We did launch uh, over a year ago a, uh, a complete operating turnaround in all three operations. And uh, we completed that operating turnaround at Guanasavi in the first quarter, and it's back in the money since that time. Uh, we're within less than a quarter of completing the operational turnaround at Molinitos. So returning the mines to good health, 
and lower costs has been uh, job number one in, in recent years. Right. You produce a lot of cash from them, but it's been sort of on the decline, obviously, and your share price reflects that uh, up until you, we saw this recovery in the in the silver price out there. So you've only got a few options there. You can reduce your costs to a point, right? Uh, or you can try and extend the life of these mines. Um, are you going to be able to continue to reduce costs? Or are you going to be able to extend the life of these mines? Well, actually, this, uh, the, uh, the solution uh, solves both problems. Solution was uh, going back to our roots of finding new virgin ore bodies hiding below the surface in these historic districts, rebuilding uh, the production profile and the grade profile, and, and that's how you drive the cost down, uh, effectively pushing the reset button. Uh, by developing new bodies. Why is it taking so long to start that process? Well, in Buenos Aires, we had some discoveries from five years ago, and uh, we were pushing to get the permanent, but uh, especially this administration, which is now two years old, uh, really dragged their feet. And we had to go through that transition from the previous government to the current government in uh, 2018, which really caused delays. So our whole development cycle in Buenos Aires was put behind by a year. And uh, that's really what but uh, caused us grief. We took, you know, we're going to shut the mine down. So we took operating losses trying to uh, develop these new mines and, and uh, get out of the old mines. But that was that was uh, completed in the first quarter of this year. I mean, the, the, gov- the Mexican government, which is pro mining, they're beating you up real good, aren't they? Because I'm, I'm looking at you know tax issues, the costs uh, associated with that, and looking at write downs as a result. Long, well, long delays. I'll say the word long delays. Delays. Uh, with you know the, the whole process there. Are you struggling with this new uh, government? Well, I'd say that the transition two years ago into this new government, given they're a far-left socialist uh, party, um, was uh, not a smooth ride. Uh, now uh, we're hit with COVID, so uh, the government departments are sort of operating, uh, and it's really just uh, the squeaky wheel gets the, the grease, right? So we're, we've had to really increase our... Um, call it participation with government to get things done. Right. What, what does that mean? What's that mean? What does that mean? It just means that we have our people in the government offices regularly instead of sporadically uh, trying to move our file from the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile. And, uh, you know, it's just, if you make enough noise, um, you get to the top of the pile. And historically in Mexico, it might have involved money, but of course, none of us, uh, foreigners do that. Uh, so all we can do is, is and we have, it's not like uh, Ringo is showing up in the government office. We, we have our own people. We're 99, 99% Mexican anyway. Uh, so that, that's how you get things done. Okay. Put on a local hat. Okay. So you must, you must be pulling your hair out uh, because you've, you've done this you started a turnaround process. You are lowering costs. You are looking to try and create some growth. And I do want to get onto that in a second. Silver price increases like you, in, you know, to, to a level which is beyond your wildest dreams um, given the last few years. And then COVID hits, production fallen, answers fallen. Bit of a nightmare scenario, really, isn't it? Uh, well, actually, the turnarounds that we initiated last year have been very successful. Uh, we've seen in, in the second quarter, which was a COVID quarter, eight of 13 months, sorry, uh, weeks in the second quarter, we were shut down by government mandate. So zero production for eight of 13 weeks. And yet we were able to come out of the quarter 
uh, with all three mines showing free cash flow. So that's the operating turnaround. Uh, and of course, the price run, and it did drift from 14 to 17, 18 in the second quarter. It really didn't take off till July. Uh, so it, was, it helped, but it wasn't the huge tailwind it is now. But if I look, if I look at that, the first first six months of this year, we've got operating loss of 13.2 million, mm -hmm. net loss of 19.2 million. You know, it's not all rosy, but it, you're, you're trying to say it's getting better, though. Yeah, we took most of our lumps in the first quarter. Right. What, what were the sorts of things you're having to write down and why? Oh, gosh, I'd, I'd have to go back to our financials, but there's just a bunch of little stuff. Um, you know, our, our biggest costs in Q2 were actually care and maintenance um, to stand still. We had to send our people home on base wage, right? So we, we literally, we put $5 million in a pile and burned it in April uh, and May. Yeah, that's, that's, that's tough. That's tough to do, but everyone's okay. Everybody's fine. Actually, um, we've been remarkably good at, at stopping COVID at the gates. We've only had a handful of cases and most of them were caught at the gates and turned away. Um, the biggest drag on our performance right now due to COVID is actually the approximately 60 people who remain at home for, because they're, we consider them high risk, either age or, or pre-existing conditions. And so to be safe, we've just kept them on the payroll and sent them home. And because we're missing kind of a portion of our, our workforce, um, it's remarkable actually what the rest of our employees are accomplishing. Our productivity is up sharply. Yeah. I think I, that's not the first time I've heard that story from, from companies. <laughs> I think people are heavily incentivized to work a little bit harder. It's, uh, it's a yes. natural human reaction. Uh, I must try it here at, at the office. Um, can, I want to go back to this, um, moving from low cost, uh, high cost, and then back down to low cost. I mean, that, that's, that's the game plan here for the Mexican underground operations. But you've got this underground skill set, right? Um, is that a model which you intend to continue uh, as part of any organic growth plans or any other kind of growth activity? Well, clearly our organic growth profile, which is, I think, sector best, uh, which includes two projects, Terra Nera and Jalisco State and Corral and Chihuahua State. Uh, these are the same style of high-grade underground vein mines. But to break out of that model and, and ensure not years, but hopefully decades of future for the company, we do need to get into something more world-class. And that's the role of our uh, portfolio of uh, prospects that we're proposing to drill in Chile. We have uh, three world-class prospects in Northern Chile, and we'll be drilling our high sulfidation gold project, Paloma, uh, in the fourth quarter of this year. So that's uh, an attempt to break the mold. Right. But so it's, what's happening with the underground component? Because is it, is it just going to try and wipe its nose? I mean, the numbers at the moment that, that I look at suggest that you, you've got some work to do there to be get back to free cash flowing again. So tell me a little bit about, before we move on to the new prospects, in terms of organic growth from the existing underground assets, what's the plan? Well, the plan is uh, to both reduce costs and extend mine life through the discovery and development of new ore bodies in these historic districts. And last year was the perfect model of that. I want us to be, we acquired some adjacent land. Uh, we were able to put into production two new ore bodies. Uh, we've discovered a third. Uh, they're now carrying all of the production at Guanacaste, and instead of having a one or two year outlook, all of a sudden we've got a five year outlook and growing. Uh, and it's all shallower, thicker, and, and richer ore. So the if you look at the cost profile, um, it's also come tumbling down. You know, our our consolidated cost guidance this year was I think seventeen and a half dollars per silver ounce, 
none of the gold credit, all in sustaining basis. So all costs included. That basically started the year at 20 and we were targeting to finish the year at 15. Well, we've already accomplished 15 in the second quarter. Right. So, okay, but again, just learning, learning, learning from what's gone on before. You know, grades have got lower and lower and lower. I mean, how how do you how do you change the way that you operate going forward in, t- in terms of developing these organically? How can you give confidence well, so to the market? With the development of, the development of new ore bodies uh, at shallower and thicker, we're able to go back to long hole mining, which is a lower unit cost method of mining. Uh, it's like a bulk underground mining method compared to cut and fill. And of course, when you're when you're mining uh, 15-year-old ore bodies like we were at Guanasabi, down 700 meters vertically in depth, and they're running one to two meters thick instead of three to five meters thick, uh, it's all the difference in the world to your costs. Uh, and so, getting out of those ore bodies, basically admitting that they, even at the current prices, they're just not ore, uh, was key to our future. And thankfully, we were successful in finding new ore bodies. They are shallower, thicker, and richer. They finally got through the permitting and development phase, and they're now carrying the mine for years to come. So do you think, I mean, again, so I want to, I want to talk about learnings and, and understanding how this company moves forward. Okay, so do you think, same question as why didn't you cut your costs sooner? Why didn't you, you know, get move forward with this kind of exploration phase sooner? Was it a cash flow issue or was it bad planning? I mean, what do you put it down to? Well, we do uh, model our expenditures every year based on cash flow. And in a seven-year bear market of falling prices, you have falling cash flow. There's no question that was an element in our planning. Uh, you know, we, we uh, also ran into, can't put it any more bluntly, government delays in permitting the new ore bodies. And uh, we just took operating losses to get through that permitting delay. Uh, we don't have that type of delay at Bolanitos, which is kind of uh, following the turnaround at Bolanitos by about three quarters. Uh, so this is the final quarter here where we expect the turnaround to be in its traction. And, and uh, we did actually generate free cash flow in the second quarter at Bolanitos, thanks to the development of two newer bodies uh, at Bolanitos. So same story at the bulk mines, getting out of the original discoveries, which we pretty much mined out, and into some new, shallower, thicker, and richer discoveries that not only extend my life, but drive cost down. You've got a $600 million Canadian dollar market cap. Oh, sorry, this is a US dollar market cap today. Do you think that's a fair reflection of where you're at today, given net losses, cash flow isn't what it once was? Well, I mentioned our organic uh, growth profile. And if you want to look for value, you don't need to look any further than Terranera and Corral. And we don't assign any value to Corral, but Terranera we published in July some updated economics to build that mine. It'll be our largest and lowest cost mine when it's up and running. And uh, at $18 silver and about $1,800 gold, I'm trying to remember now, uh, I think the net present value was in the $220 million, $230 million range with an IRR up in the 40s. So it's a prolifically uh, profitable deposit at uh, much lower prices than these prices. And uh, we're trying to fast track it as best we can. Right. By the way, the impact, the impact of Terranera alone, you know, we're on track to do, that's maybe, uh, we'll do about 6 million ounces of silver equivalents this year. The only equivalent being gold. And Terranera will come on at 6 million ounces. So it'll effectively double our production and half our costs. Cost profile in the study that we released in July showed cash costs net of the gold credit at zero. In other words, gold basically carries the operation. Silver is free. And even on an all-in sustaining basis with royalties and taxes and, and a 
life of mine, capital and expiration, head office costs, uh, life of mine, all in sustaining costs for Terra Nera forecasted at uh, just over two bucks per ounce of solar produced. So it's a real game changer for us. Sure, sure. Um, but do you think people have got long enough memories to remember when you were sort of running the mines efficiently? I mean, because like I say, the last few years have been tough. You've had government holding We're you back. Refreshing their memories because uh, Guanos of has come back into the money. Bolanitos is coming back into the money. And uh, like I said, we went from low cost to high cost. And so now, just at the time when metal prices are going up, our costs are coming down. So it's a perfect storm for our cash flow. Okay, Gina. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the cost cutting exercise. It, it, it's not too bad. And and it's just sort of last one on the, the the Mexican underground thing. So I just want to I want to kind of I want to be able to understand that and then park that. And we'll move on to bright new future. Okay. So the 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 life of mine extensions there. I mean, how much longer can those three three mines continue to contribute towards cash flow for you? Well, at Guanos V, I mentioned the discovery of uh, now three new ore bodies. And they're going to carry us uh, right now. We're running a five-year model, but there's lots of pla- places to drill, continue drilling, to extend the mine life. Uh, at uh, Bolanitos, we've been running a one-year life since we started there in 2007, 2008, and uh, we continue to run a one-year reserve life and approximately a one-year resource life. And we th- we see uh, enough opportunities that we think we can keep that going for five years. Right. And and what do you think you're realistically going to be able to get those costs? down to? I mean, how much contribution are you expecting from them, either individually or as a whole? Well, Bolognese is already there on a cash basis. I mean, their cash costs were in the very low single digits. Uh, All-in costs were 20 bucks in the second quarter. Um, and the difference was we're in a development phase on the new ore bodies, and we'll be through that uh, by the end of this quarter. All right. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about Terranera. Um, you mentioned a few numbers there. You've, you've done a PFS. The numbers. MPV 537 million IRR, circa 30%. Um, grades, they're okay. You know, 405 uh, silver equivalent and 10 year life of mine. So it's not, not too bad. I think the market is recognizing that, right? 405 is okay. It's okay. 405 is pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> and a three, and I said. an average life of mine, diluted mine grade. Yep. And means I, you're putting 500 grams of. Yeah, and it's and a payback payback in under three years. So you know, there's there's there's, there's a lot there's a lot to like there. Um, what next though? Well, of course, we've uh, announced the commencement of a feasibility study. We're within a week, I think, of granting the piece, uh, the uh, the lead engineer on the feasibility study. Uh, might even be able to press release it this week. Uh, we'll go straight then to selecting the PCM contractors and. Um, there's a couple of long lead items we'd love to get started on. I can't give any guarantees, but uh, if you want to de-risk a project, that's the main purpose of the feasibility study. The other way to de-risk it uh, is to get started on things that normally run over time over budget, such as a two-kilometer-long main haulageway, uh, which is you, know, you can only put two shifts a day into the haulageway, so the earlier you start, the better. Um, clearing off the top of the plant site, we need to clear 200 thousand cubic meters off the top of a hill, effectively flat on the top of a hill. And that's the material that goes to the toe of the tailings facility, tailings dam. Uh, getting a head start on that, the earthworks. Um, the construction camp, like we're not ready to start construction. And while we're uh, in the feasibility phase, if we can get um, properly permitted and built uh, in the next nine months, then as soon as the feasibility is done, we hit the ground running. So these are things that we'd love to get started on. Well, I think in this market, you want to also accelerate that as best you can. 
And it's the best thing is for you, you to mine this, is it? You're the guys to do it. Oh, I think so. I think it's uh, right in our sweet spot. Uh, these are the types of ore bodies we've found and built mines on for 16 years. And Terranera just happens to be bigger and better than the other ones. Right. And what about, um, talk to us about what's coming down the line. What, what else are you doing? Because, like, you've been at this a long time, Brad. You've been here at Man and Boy. It's time. It's time to think of pastures new, surely. I mean, are you not, is it not a bit exhausting trying to you know, chase, the, chase the dream? Well, I still have uh, fun and we're still trying to make money. So the uh, short answer is no. But uh, I do have a long list of things I want to do. And uh, I'm not going to be here forever. I won't go very far when I move along. Uh, if I move away from the CEO role, it'll probably be up to the chairman's role. Okay. But uh, nothing in the short-term forecast. Okay. So, so talk, to, talk to me about some of these other potential exploration targets, some of these, these other projects which have potential when your balance sheet is sorted out again, when it get, gets back to where you want it to be. Well, we stopped drilling Terranera two years ago to focus on economic evaluation, and we just restarted drilling at Terranera last month. So I think there's um, a whole new chapter to be written in terms of resource upside at Terranera as we start testing new veins. Uh, the second project in our development pipeline is the Peral project in Southern Chihuahua. And then we stopped drilling there last year. Uh, again, it was just budget constraints in the bear market. Uh, we'd love to get started there. We won't be in the plans this year, but if we can get started again there next year on infill and step out drilling uh, we could take I, easily a 40 million ounce resource to 60 or 80 million ounces in my view um, so it's still very much an advanced exploration project where we could create uh, value very quickly through the drill bit and then stepping out from that the whole concept of being in chile for the last eight years uh, was to break the mold of small high-grade underground vein mines and because uh, it is hard to to grow a business when uh, these things are constrained in size and uh, uh, for us to uh, become a major in the silver space and with decades of mine life, we need these big, chunky, world-class deposits. And you can't buy them. They're just impossible to, to buy in the silver space. So you have to find them. And we've lived off of finding ore bodies. Every mine we've ever built was on a discovery we made. We never inherited anybody else's ore body. So I think uh, the, the whole concept of three world-class prospects in Chile is, let's go see if we can find one for ourselves. Uh, the, the three are Cerro Marquez, which uh, uh, has turned into actually a porphyry copper molly gold play. And uh, it's a big, big system, six by eight kilometer footprint. It's an entire volcanic caldera. And um, we've done enough systematic work to get the copper majors really turned on. So we're in a, a phase now of signing up CAs and, and doing due diligence and trying to bring on a partner for that one. Uh, Paloma, which is our five million ounce gold uh, high sulfidation epithermal target, also in the far north of Chile. Uh, we will drill our, ourselves this year. And again, it's a big target. It's about two by three kilometers. Again, a portion of a, a volcanic caldera. And uh, some, some great targets. I mean, you've got, I won't go into the, the, the glorious geological detail, except to say that everything you want to see on surface at Paloma, we see. So we've got bullseye targets to drill. And then the third one, which isn't quite ready for drilling, uh, we're waiting for the permits on AIDA. It's up on the Bolivia-Argentine border. So it's kind of like in the three corners area of Chile. And uh, it's, it's more of a kind of classic Bolivian style, bulk tonnage, silver lead zinc deposit. I think uh, Cerro Potosí, Cerro Rico, um, one of the two in Argentina. Uh, it's called the Puna operation now that Silver Standard has. 
Okay. What do you make of some of the insider selling that's been going on? Do you think now it's a little bit disrespectful to some of the long-standing shareholders to see that come into the market? Well, I was anticipating that question, and the short answer is no. We've had some long-suffering shareholders and employees, especially employees, who haven't seen an option in money for seven years. So when they asked if they could exercise options, I said, go for it. And we haven't seen this kind of a run in, in a long time. And the money went to the kitty. Okay. What's that mean? Gone to the kitty. Means that they exercised options. So the cash went into the treasury of the company. Okay. And uh, the employees finally got a reward for all their years of hard work. Okay. Um, but you're going to understand the frustration, you know, in the market when they see that sort of thing. Yeah, I would, I would beg for understanding. We've all come through a bear market. Uh, the shareholders are way in the money. We had like a four times run in our stock in the last six months. Uh, nobody can complain about the performance of the stock. And to be honest, the performance of management, we hung in there as best we could, positioned the company for growth, and now we're ready to reap the rewards. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. You know, how, how much do you put down to your ability and planning to have positioned it for growth, as you phrased it, or is it all just about the silver price? which you were clinging on and waiting for? Uh, well, we were shopping during the bear market. We acquired Corral for 16, sorry, $6 million. We acquired Compass for $6.5 million. Uh, we staked the three prospects in Chile in the heart of the bear market. So this, this goes right to the heart of our business model of, of getting in cheaply, doing value-added work, developing targets, drilling them, in the case of Mexico, making successful discoveries, building uh, on a fast track new mines, and growing our business. And when the bear market hit, we obviously had to pull in our horns on that model and be a little bit more patient, but we're back in that up, up cycle again. And this is not a cycle that's gonna end this year. So I think uh, we're very well positioned thanks to our work in the bear market uh, to be a sector leader for growth. I mean, look at 6 million ounces this year, 12 million when Terranera is built, 16 million when Peral is built. And we're talking about superior growth and superior costs. Because when you look at the cost profile of the existing mines falling, Terranera will cut the consolidated costs in half. And then Peral, which was a formally announced per year producer until 1990, our vision is to simply bring it back on at formally announced per year with costs in around 10 bucks all in. So again, all accretive to both production and our profit profile. Okay. The, the thing about growth is um, it, it gets harder and harder Get, as, 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 you, as you get bigger, you've been a billion dollar company before. You, I guess you want to be that again. You said that silver is not going to do anything different for the rest of this year. What's, what is your outlook on silver? Genuinely, what is your outlook on silver and how do you prepare yourself for when it turns away? Well, I think there are some inconvenient truths about silver. Uh, one of the most inconvenient truths about silver is that after a seven year bear market, New mine supply approximately balances manufacturing uh, or fabrication demand. And when investors come knocking for silver like they have in the last year, there is none. That's a really inconvenient truth. And so the, what has to happen? The silver price has to rise to equilibrate the market. And still, you're you know, pulling new, new uh, mine supply out of the ground. You can't do that in months. Uh, and it's not the primary silver producers who are the difference makers. Uh, we may help to set price of silver at the margin, but the bulk of silver supply comes from copper, lead, and zinc and, and gold producers. And as a byproduct, they typically hedge it forward up to a year, sometimes two or more. Um, so that silver is already sold. 
And you can't just, you know, build a copper mine in a year. Uh, you're talking about a 10-year cycle for most mines. So silver is that special metal that uh, has uh, a history as money, and then people forget it's money. It developed uh, in the last 100 years industrial uses, which dominate now the demand for silver, uh, which means that silver disappears and isn't uh, held around um, necks or fingers or in vaults. Uh, most of the silver is consumed in industrial applications. Uh, so monetary role, industrial role. And then there's this emerging new green role. And silver is truly a green metal. You can't have solar photovoltaic power without silver. You can't have electric vehicles without silver. It's not that they use a lot of silver, but then, you know, my cell phone, which was one of the gadgets that drove the last revolution in the silver price. This is a quarter gram of silver in here. And there's certainly not enough silver to affect the price of the gadget, but there's more than, uh, there's no question there's enough gadgets to affect the price of silver since the year 2000. That was the, the last wave uh, of uh, demand growth. And now we're coming into a green uh, revolution and it'll be the, the current wave, the uh, solar photovoltaic demand, the electric vehicle demand. If you look at the 10 year forecast for EVs and the fact that each EV uses up to two ounces of silver just on all the electronic circuitry, um, not enough to recycle, but most definitely enough uh, EVs forecast have a dramatic impact on the price of silver. Last year, 55 million ounces went into conventional cars last year, just for their electronic circuitry. Never mind EVs, just all cars. Um, if you believe the 10-year forecast for EVs, that number has to triple, just for automobiles. Where is the 100 million ounces going to come from? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. You're a believer in the macro. I, I, I get. I am a believer in the EV uh, thematic as well. But um, okay, point point made. I want to come back to one last fundamental though. Do you wish you'd kept your finger on the pulse with regards to costs, having seen how easy it was for you to reduce the costs recently? We went through some management changes, uh, 2016, 17, at about the same time. We were getting frustrated on permitting, and so. Um, yeah, in hindsight, uh, if we'd been able to avoid those management changes, uh, then we wouldn't have had such delays, I think. Okay. But the, the, but uh, you're the CEO, you're the guy at the top making decisions. I'm saying, in terms of keeping going forward, is important as well, Brad. Okay. I'm saying, I want to know what you've learned. And is it, you know, are you going to be able to keep those costs low going forward? Uh, I think our group has been very good at um, uh, managing the the cost profile, our productivity did fall during the bear market and it's rising in the last year and a half. Um, and it's all about people. Every business at the end of the day is a people business. And uh, when we lost some, a couple of key people in 2016, it did impact us and we weren't anticipating that. Uh, but we came out of it, we survived and we've, we've got a great team and, um, and they're doing everything we've asked them to do. Okay, Brad? Nice run through. First time I've heard the story, so I'm delighted to hear it from, from you uh, as to what's going on. Um, you seem to be focused, on, as far as I can see, on four things. So keeping costs low, organic growth from, from, your, from right. what you've got there, um, extending those uh, life of minds where you can. I, th I think you told a bit of a story there. Um, and then this expansion into, into, into Chile, I think... Could be interesting. 
could be interesting. Um, look, pick up the phone and stay in touch and let us know how you get on. Uh, I'd be intrigued to see how things move forward in this uh, cyber environment. So I appreciate your time. Thanks, Brad. Well, thank you. We're coming into a very exciting period. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.